This is Defenders TV Podcast Episode 107, where we're looking at Spider-Man Homecoming. What's up, fellow Defenders and webheads? This is Defenders TV Podcast 107. Can you imagine 107? And it has all been culminating in what I can only say is our spoiler-filled, oh-so-good discussion about Spider-Man Homecoming. Spider-Man is here. He is in the MCU. It is official. And we've seen it, and we're going to talk about it. I'm one of your hosts, Chris. Hi, I'm one of your other hosts, John. And I'm your last and final defender, Derek. We're in a lot better mood tonight, aren't we? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes. yes. I already feel it. I already feel that this movie is probably going to get a better rating than Spider-Man 3. Oh, yes. (laughs) Absolutely. We have um, a local hero for local people. Almost like a friendly neighborhood. Local person for local people. Absolutely. Yes, Yes, yeah, they're really looking forward to uh, to discussing Spider-Man Homecoming. It was so difficult not to talk about it when we were doing our Spider-Man 3 uh, review because it felt like every time I wanted to say something, I was going, at least to do it better in Spider-Man Homecoming. (laughs) But we didn't. We avoided it. Well, that is true. That is true. But unfortunately, we did not avoid having to rewatch that film. That's true. Absolutely. And if any of the listeners are wondering what the crash bang wallop is at the end of our opening theme tune uh, that is spider-man falling off a building <laughs> well actually you know we now know it's spider-man trying to swing on a web and falling <laughs> to the ground exactly there you go, there yeah. you go. he's falling and hitting the ground <laughs> so for all of our longtime listeners welcome back thank you so much um, but if you are new if you just come here for spider-man and wondering what all this is about we are Defenders TV Podcast. We are the number one in our minds podcast <laughs> for all things, but actually predominantly the Defenders, which is your Daredevils, your Luke Cage's, your Iron Fist, and your Jessica Jones, and all culminating in August with the Defenders, which is part of all the Marvel Netflix cinematic universe, mm-hmm. question mark, potentially part of MCU. No, definitely part of MCU. Definitely part of MCU. Yeah, yeah well, we know it is. It must be. As, but, as part of MCU as, as Spider-Man Homecoming is. Definitely. Exactly. We, we, have, we have yet to have the Tony Stark come in, but it is only a matter of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, as I said, if you are new, please like, subscribe, and rate and review us. We always love telling more and new people about our show so make sure if you'd like this episode to subscribe so that you can in a little over a month and a few days listen to our breaking coverage on defenders as it launches on august 18th uh, worldwide i believe That's at right. exactly 12 now boys if they want to also talk all things Marvel's Cinematic Universe and Defenders. Where can they go? Absolutely. You can come and join us over on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Defenders TV podcasts. Lots of discussions going on. We're in a bit of a lull, obviously, while we're doing our, our Summer of Spider-Man. But once we get into our episode-by-episode episode discussions, there's loads of chat about anything Defenders. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is officially a lull. We've done three podcasts this week. We have, yes. <laughs> this is what we call a lull. In our yes, um, and of course you can 
provide feedback at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com or if you want to hear your own dulcet tones wafting over the airwaves, uh, the digital airwaves. It's Digital Jazz Man. You can go to defenderstvpodcast.com to our website and click on the right-hand side, the voicemail tab, and you can leave up to 90 seconds of your thoughts, comments, or discussion points on anything to do with Summer of Spidey or, of course, anything to do with any of the Defenders or, in fact, the Defenders, Mm -hmm. the quartet of street-level superheroes. Absolutely. After Spider-Man 3, can we never talk about jazz on this podcast again? It's biomechanical jazz. That's different. Okay, cool. Uh, If you want to subscribe to the podcast, as Chris mentioned, you can go over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and search for Defenders TV Podcast or go through our link at our website at at DefendersTVPodcast.com slash iTunes or search for us on any good or evil podcast catcher. Again, just search for Defenders TV Podcast. Subscribe to us in there and you'll get our episodes as they're released. Yes, iTunes, also known as Apple Podcasts. That's right. Yeah. Can't wait till Google Play hits town. Yeah, it'd be awesome when Google Play yes, comes to Ireland. For all of our American listeners, you already have it. We will be there as soon as it comes to Europe. Yes. yes exactly. But, lads, I cannot wait anymore. I'm sorry. I need to get into the discussion points. So, without further ado, please note, this is a spoiler, spoiler, spo- 100% spoiler-filled podcast Mm -hmm. so if you have not watched this what are you doing press pause go right now to the cinema i don't care if you have to drive go watch this film and then on your drive back listen to us like it but there so production derek can you tell us who wrote and direct this beautiful beautiful (laughs) web twipping twip twip film Okay, absolutely. Uh, yeah, the movie was directed by John Watts. Uh, pretty unknown director, really. Uh, John Watts is really, his only big claim to fame is a movie called Cop Car with Kevin Bacon. Um, a kind of a, it's about kids robbing a cop car and Kevin Bacon chasing them down. Um, so not much experience, but Marvel as a, as a group has always tended to look at, um, directors that they, find something interesting in and put them in these roles as directing some of their huge films. So I guess this Marvel co-production with Sony is, is no different really after, uh, after the last couple of Marvel films, looking at somebody kind of brand new to the scene and seeing what they can do with the material. This was written by Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly. Uh, they are the main writers for the movie. They are kind of known for uh, their movie Horrible Bosses and the Vacation remake. Both quite funny films, actually. Yeah, yeah. I remember Horrible Bosses. Loved it. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was really good. Uh, but there are many other writing credits. We talked about last time with uh, roughly 30 writing credits on, on Spider-Man 3. On this one, John Watts himself does get a writing credit, and Christopher Ford and Chris McKenna both get writing credits uh, in this movie. So lots of different treatments of this movie have gone around for many years. Uh, obviously, there's a, a there's a bit of a Sony side and a bit of a Marvel side. But, John... Do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis of the movie? Sure. In the wake of the Battle of New York between the Avengers and the Shatari, construction worker Adrian Toomes is set up for a big payday with the rebuilding of New York. Until Tony Stark's new business, Damage Control, comes and takes the work out from under him. Toomes vows to change his ways to take advantage of the new order of things. Eight years later, after returning from his own adventure with 
the Avengers, Peter Parker is struggling to fit back into high school. Too nervous to approach high school senior Liz and too absorbed by his brief brush with superheroes to focus on the debate team. Peter spends all of his time contacting Happy Hogan, looking for his next mission. When he comes across some illegal arms traders in New York, Peter takes the opportunity to prove once and for all that he can step up from being a small-time hero. After he crosses paths with the leader of the gang, Adrian Toomes, now going by the moniker Vulture, and almost destroys the Staten Island Ferry. Tony is more convinced than ever that Peter isn't ready. But after removing all of the gadgets and toys Tony has given him, Peter steps up to the challenge and foils Toomes' plan to steal more of Stark's tech from under his nose. Peter is rewarded with an even more improved spider suit and a full-time place at Avengers Academy. But realising he has plenty of life ahead of him, he decides to work his way up as a friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man. What a film. What a film, what a film, what a film. Mm-hmm. If, if, if Ferris Bueller had a day off, he would go see this film. <laughs> And what a great reference to to that in the film! I was I had that that great scene yeah. when uh, when Peter's running through the back gardens, and I'm sitting there as an old man, like I am, going, "That's just like Ferris Bueller's Day Off," it and then the film's on it. TV in the background. Yeah. So, so yeah, absolutely. They and he goes, "Great film." So, uh, yeah, nice little nice little reference there. I I loved it, but boys, let's get into our top five. For anyone who's just joining us for the first time, unlike our usual uh, defenders, um, when we go through the Netflix shows, we typically each have five points. For these films, we what we now do is we're going to take kind of what we consider our best top five points between us, but also then what we usually go through is Peter Parker's arc, then we get into the main villain, then we do some of the supporting characters, we'll discuss at the end the heroes and villains relationship and close it all off with the ever amazing cin- cinematic final battle and what we thought about it. So with that being the case, boys, let's talk about old Peter Parker himself. Mm-hmm. What we thought about this. I, I, I usually feel like I'm going to be talking 90% of this episode, uh-huh. but first I want to get your thoughts. You know what? I have to say I love this idea of no origin story for Peter Parker. I I couldn't imagine that they would be able to pull this off. We had obviously the appearance of Spider-Man in Civil War joining up with the Avengers. So again, in that he was drafted in, he had his moment and then he disappeared from the movie. The idea of setting this movie a couple of months after that, where poor Peter is sitting at home, Rewatching his videos of his special day out with the Avengers and d- dying to get back to that time when he was a big superhero and never really talking about his origin story was brilliant. Absolutely. Um, completely agree. I think they answered my prayers that they weren't going to uh, go through some kind of endless retelling of the origin story. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think it was covered in like, what, 20 seconds when Ned mentions it briefly. Um, so really, really top notch for, for doing that. I think, I think it adds more, you know, at this stage, we know Peter Parker, we know Spider-Man. Um, 
it's great just getting that kind of uh, little pisser patter of that origin through mm-hmm. uh, through the story, but it not being central. Um, and I love Peter's arc. I mean, I love that handheld footage at the start. I thought that was really cool. I thought it was a real nice touch yeah. having that. But it also, yeah, immediately links it in to the wider MCU in such a, a cool little way. And then just how Peter is kind of keeps pining for, for that, massive hero moment like he had in Berlin mm-hmm. um doing all that and just gradually as you know he's too eager I love it I, it really um kind of goes with Peter Park for me he's too eager he wants to be involved he's all of that uh, and I just like that by the end you know we we see him pairing back he, he's he understands his neighborhood you know his friendly neighborhood spider mm-hmm. um and, and doing uh the, the best for for his for his neighborhood absolutely um you know probably every so often we're getting called on for some um you know bit more bigger stuff like yeah. saving the world and so on with the Avengers so I really loved that that whole arc and just even how it interferes with him at, at uh, high school as well and with his relationships mm-hmm. uh, with the the debating team and and how that all kind of works into the story i thought it was really 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 well done yeah yeah definitely and one of the things i really love about it is i think i mentioned it on our spider-man 3 podcast the storyline of a character becoming famous and having to reduce himself back down to his real self again has been done before that is what they were trying to do in spider-man 3 and this story is basically peter having to overcome his overconfidence and come back to being the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. It's amazing in better hands how well that story can be told. Absolutely. And like, look, you cannot get more friendly neighborhood when you have, you're standing on a roof and a guy goes, Hey, you that Spider-Man? Yeah. (laughs) He goes, do it, flip. And he just does the flip. And I'm like, yes, that's amazing. Or That's saving weird. a cat from a bodega and saving the uh, saving the shopkeeper from from us from a fire, you know that kind of stuff is the cool stuff that that Spider Man should be doing in between, obviously, mass outings with the Avengers. I love this idea that they keep him grounded by the types of people that he's saving. Uh, there's some great moments in here where he, uh, he sees a guy stealing a bike and and takes it back, and then is looking for the owner of the bike, leaves a note on it to go, "If this is your bike." take it back if it's not your bike please don't steal it and the the other guy that he thinks is breaking into a car and he tries to stop him breaking into the car it turns out it's the guy's car and he he disrupts everybody in the neighborhood by setting off his alarm Um, including including mr stanley yes yeah we got our cameo as well but we'll get back to that later (laughs) but i think that's uh, kind of why i did the whole league of gentlemen reference with regards to the local hero for local people Mm -hmm. i think it's like it, it was just that that conflict between the, the the different scales of going big with the Avengers, but this is all kind of the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man yeah. stuff. And yeah. it, it just really worked because it, it came into Peter's arc of him being torn between, you know, the supporting the debating team, trying to fit in at high school, but still wanting to not be a part of it. I mean, it was even that, you know, He's he is the the clever kid, and that was shown uh, in the the classroom scenes. But at the same time, it almost this idea that he wants to give that up mm-hmm. as well. I really like that side of it, which I've never really um, 
never really taken before from any of the other Spider-Mans. Uh, not to say that it's not in there, but I, I that really kind of hit home here where, yeah, he's clever and so on, but he, he's not making a, a, a deal of it. He, he's just actually more focused on trying to save people mm-hmm. in his neighborhood. And I, I, I really kind of like that. And I think it's, I think it's done better than Ant-Man in terms of that smaller scale, mm-hmm. but it still feels epic. Um, by having Iron Man in there, having that footage at the start with the Avengers, and and just how it's shot and directed as yeah. well, um, you know. But Chris, as our Spider Man fan, what do you think of uh, of this version of of Peter Parker's arc and this storyline of his? I can't say I love this more, guys. <laughs> I'm coming out right now, and the spoilers for our, our kind of verdicts and whether we defend this is now my favorite Spider Man film. Ever wow. like this is this is the Peter Parker and the Peter Parker arc that I wanted. Like he is a high school student who looks and acts like a high school high school student. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He is he is that that nerdy complex kind of character that you've always wanted. So he has once he puts on the mask, he becomes this person who we cannot be when he is Peter Parker. Like, so he becomes that kind of charismatic, loudmouth, kind of witty banter Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Like the, the scene with the Avengers and um in well, the robbers in the Avengers masks. Yeah. Like is the that is for me is the iconic neighborhood Spider-Man. Yeah. Because he's stopping a bank rob well, a teller or an ATM robbery. And he goes, Hey, it's just the Avengers. Thor, Hulk, it's great to finally meet you guys. Yeah. Like and obviously like a little Easter egg for Civil War, because yes, he hasn't met these characters uh-huh. uh, in the actual real world. But it's just that witty, and he goes, "Hey, I don't think you're supposed to be doing that." And doing all these funny things, but then still making mistakes, mm-hmm. and that's the bit I think is one of the most interesting parts on this, which is we've always seen Spider-Man in any of the origin stories or any of the Spider-Man films so far. Peter gets bitten, and then instinctually knows how to be a hero. Right. Like even including Spider-Man One, where he slowly becoming and you just it's a couple of newspaper flying kind of oh like spinning newspapers and Mm. saving people like this was not this is him trying to get used to his abilities his webs his like everything like so when i made i joked at the beginning he's like that scene where he's running around the neighborhood and doing like the bike scene but then he's like tries to swing from something falls flat in his face and goes, I'm okay, and stands up. And like, I'm okay. I'm... Like, that's brilliant because Absolutely. he's learning. Absolutely. And and even, like, in that bank scene as well where, you know, he's he's fighting the, the, the robbers, but then in attacking them and trying to prevent them from stealing all the the dot you know the the that tech that they're using to cut out the the atm you know goes across the street and to his favorite uh corner shop you mm-hmm. know where, where he gets his he gets his favorite snack and all of a sudden it's that moment as well where he's like oh god like the guy who works behind the the counter there uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but you know, goes to save him. Like I, I loved that as well because it was like, you know, cocky, cocky. Oh, mm-hmm. not too cocky. Oh my god, what have I done? Kind of thing. Like that whole kind of learning. What you know that um, he has to 
try and be careful to when he's rescuing or preventing something just as much uh, as being the the witty thing and you Absolutely. see that later where he's you know to prevent the plane from crashing on the city yeah yeah uh, i really really liked how that that came across as well chris definitely so to kind of i don't want to like obviously yes not seeing the origin it was amazing and i think yeah. they handled this most beautifully which is they the civil war reenactment which i someone has posted online a uh, a, uh, a side-by-side reenactment i'm very good uh, so yeah. literally they put the civil war fi- footage directly in there mm-hmm. and it it syncs up perfectly yeah like absolutely. it is beautifully synced up yeah but what i really liked was it was down to hey you guys already know who spider-man is now you if you don't well you can find out but here's a 30 second pick pick with ned where he'll ask silly questions and answer all your questions for uh-huh. you. Like, and then we're done. That's it. No yeah. more, no more origin. Um, and it, that's what I wanted. Like, if I had to see it again, okay, fine. We all thought there was going to be some form of flashback, mm-hmm. but they didn't even do that, which I think is giving a certain thing to the audience saying, hey, we trust your intelligence. Yeah. We know that you, if you're, if you're seeing this, most likely, you already care and know who Spider-Man is. Absolutely. And I, and I must say, just the, the idea of the actual origin conversation that happens with Ned is, look, I was bitten by a radioactive spider. Ned goes, can the radioactive spider bite me? And he goes, no, the radioactive spider's dead. That's the conversation about yep. how he got his powers and where he is. Uh, what I did like is the other choice in the in the arc of Peter Parker to have uh, Iron Man give him his suit and put the training wheels on. Um, that whole concept of... Tony Stark taking a Spider-Man under his wing and going, I can give you even more power in the future when you've proven yourself to me. Um, I really like that. I like the idea of him hacking the suit and getting access to the powers that he's not able to use, uh, failing with those, using them in the wrong way. Lovely, funny scenes. But the underlying arc for Peter Parker is he's not ready to join the big leagues yet. And Tony knows this, and Tony's trying to help him along the way. So I really like that part of the arc. And is Tony right to take the suit back is kind of one of the questions that I have for you, for you two guys. Just quickly on the suit okay. as well. No, I mean, I, I think, um, you see, that to me, um, where he takes the suit away, and I, I th- thought that it was a really good way of doing it. The subtext of that is with great power comes great responsibility Absolutely. without having to say it. Yep. Um, and, and really again, hammer that saying to, to death. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what it tells you that you're not ready. It was kind of interesting with the suit. It's just a, a, another point I have on it. There, there was a moment in this film where I thought, is the suit too techy? Is it certainly when he overrides it and, and all of that? Because mm-hmm. all of a sudden, for me, Spider-Man has always been really instinctive, you know, the spider sense and so on. And that kind of s- just felt like it was lost because he's relying on all the tech built into the spider mm. suit. I actually love the tech. I thought it was cool. And I love that where he's learning with it fully upgraded and on in the first version of, of the suit and mm-hmm. uh, testing out the, well, the, the 150 odd combinations or whatever it is of, uh, of how to shoot uh, the the web sling. Uh, I think and, it was like five hundred and twenty seven. It's well, something some ridiculous. Yeah, number, isn't it? Like I thought that was really cool, and I really liked it. So uh-huh. there, there was 
part of me that absolutely loved the the tech spidey suit but there was another part of me that kind of just felt it removed it that whole aspect of spidey sense and the instinctiveness that, mm. that spider-man has and peter parker and but it didn't detract for me but I, I i just wonder whether maybe they went too far and so i was glad he didn't take version two and i love which that presumably the... would have meant he could have detonated nuclear warheads like <laughs> um you know like in terminate he was basically going to be skynet well, yeah basically but i did like the idea that for the last half of the film he's he's put back in his old his old suit that he made himself and he has to that is the responsibility he has to learn is how do you deal with all of these situations when all that tech is gone and uh, a great way to do it without doing the origin story as you said chris yeah so i think the suit was potentially one it's a realistic element if you have tony stark as a mentor mm-hmm who has built Iron Man, who's a multi-billionaire. He, he built Vision. He built Ultron. He has all this disposal. Yes, most likely he is going to upgrade your suit. Mm-hmm. He's up, going to upgrade Cap Shield. He's going to upgrade Thor's belt. He's going to do everything possible to power up his friends. So, yes, that made sense. Mm-hmm. Was it too much? Like, I love the joke about taser webs and <laughs> uh, kill mode. No, 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 no. Don't, don't kill anyone. Like, or was it kill mode? Yes. yes, I think it was something yeah, like yeah. he's entering kill mode, and his eyes went dark to a red pimple. It's like <gasps> amazing. Like it was all, it was fantastic. I loved Karen. I loved the AI. Like it was, it all made realistic sense within the MCU. Oh, a- absolutely. Like yeah. I, I, it made complete sense. That's not. I'm not. Yeah. Saying that it didn't make sense. I think. And I, I loved it as well. And I, as I say, I loved all of that. But then it was on reflection after coming out of the cinema like in the film didn't think of it at all and then it was only afterwards that I thought you know and actually Derek you've made the point that it's only in going back to a just his own homemade suit that he he starts to understand and so on and I think I'm glad they did that. I'm glad he didn't take version two because I think otherwise it becomes Iron Man just not in armor. Yeah. I mean, and that's part of what was starting to happen with me when it was suddenly, um, you know, being able to look through walls and all this kind of stuff. I just thought, well, where's the challenge now? Mm -hmm. Like you, you, you potentially undermine the character's instinctive sense that he's gotten from being bitten. Where yeah. he would know that someone's behind the wall because he's got spider sense. It is interesting that to speak about the spider sense thing, there is a, a reference to that in Civil War, where they effectively do say the spider sense exists in the universe of this character of, of Spider Man, but it's not like the comic books. He doesn't have spider sense from the off. Uh, and it does take the tech from Tony to hone the spider sense that he does have. So in this movie, the spider sense is kind of enhanced by having Karen, the AI that's within his suit. But he doesn't have that spider sense where he's standing in a, in a room without his spider outfit on or a spider costume on, being able to know what's going on around him like he does in the comic books. That's yeah. not in this universe. He so. says that's why he had the blinkers and the mm. goggles on, because his senses are so uh, over-involved or... Mm-hmm. They're so amped up that he needs he needs it to concentrate. Yeah. I, that also being said, a lot of people in the in, on the internet, as you do, like to argue, and really? they have really. <laughs> I know it's a strange place for people on the internet to be arguing, <laughs> but there's a big thing that came out recently, all like since the films come out, going there is no spidey sense, there is no tingling, and 
they've come out and said, well, look, yes, as you said, it's in the universe. He doesn't have it in the traditional way where his, like, womp, womp, warning, warning, as we've seen in, say, the Maguire-verse. But they said they, they are keeping it open for evolved powers his powers will grow over time and we may see reference to it more in the traditional sense in spider-man 2 mm-hmm. um which is great and i just wanted to kind of come back and say, like this arc is amazing because of him going back into his old suit mm-hmm. and getting the new suit and like wanting to be more traditional so Absolutely. like when he has all the web options he does go no no just give me standard default webs like like the shield webs, the taser webs. We've seen all these, a lot of these in the comics already. Uh-huh. But it's he'll always fall back on standard webs, which he built, which I love, by the way. We're box of mechanical web shooters, and yeah. he's the one building this, which I thought was fantastic. Yeah, yeah that was cool. Uh, and I love we see some failed versions of the experiment as well in the film, just like pretty much everything that, that Peter does in this film. There's a couple of failed attempts to do a number of things throughout the film, just to point out that he's... Still very new at this. Yeah, I love... He yes. doesn't know everything. Absolutely. It was great just him swirling stuff around in the chemistry lab and uh-huh. uh, even just where he stores it as well. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I wouldn't want to get yeah. caught by the hall monitor. <laughs> no, but that was amazing. I, no, I Just lifting it up one-handed, I was like, yes, that is yeah. sweet. Um, so, look, I, I, because I'm, I'm, I, I kind of want to get on and discuss more things on this, to kind of end on kind of where we think this arc has left Peter, okay? So a lot of people are talking about it, and it's for me, it's one of those beautiful moments of this scene is where Peter is crushed under rubble, and he has to pull himself. Like, he is a he is literally in that a 15, 16-year-old kid crushed under rubble, crying, screaming for help, yeah. and Tom Holland paces beautifully and this is ripped for for our comic book aficionados this is ripped from uh, amazing spider-man 33 mm-hmm. which was back in 1966 and it's one of steve ditko's most amazing panels group of panels so originally this was going to be a scene over four panels done and it ended up being four or five pages like 17 panels and it's just um I'm actually going to quote Kevin Smith and Mark Bernardin on this from Fat Man on Batman or Fat Man on Spider-Man in their review. They talk about how, and it was only when they started talking about it that now it's sunk in. Like this whole piece, uh, this homecoming is, and Spider-Man is about will, the will to be and to survive and be both Spider-Man and Peter Parker and take the knocks that come and be the man running like the Peter Parker who has to decide not go to homecoming to disappoint people in order to serve the greater good, the greater responsibility because he has the greater power. Mm-hmm. And that scene, like that scene, even just thinking about it now in the film, was so beautifully done because you see on Tom Holland's face and oh, they use the um, half mask, half uh, mm-hmm face which is iconic in a lot of spider-man kind of covers and um even in the logo in the top left hand corner absolutely used it all the way through the 90s i believe yeah 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 um so they they pulled that and they made they showed tom holland and kind of you see him go through this emotional state where he is like crying out for help because mm-hmm. he's so yeah. out of his depth and then slowly 
like making the conscious decisions now like this is on me mm-hmm. i'm the only one who could do this i have to and then pulling the rafters up and like picking up the cement blocks and like pushing himself to beyond whatever he's done before for me that was just like oh yeah it was, it was really good ama- it was yeah. amazing pinnacle yeah. superb changing of the arc and i think tom holland was pitch perfect for me i mm-hmm. really enjoyed uh his take on spider-man uh i absolutely loved that and yeah i think you're right that that scene just really really just spoke a thousand words of script um in terms of what he was becoming um yeah. in terms of spider-man and 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 how he views the character and you know ultimately leading to the end where you know he's doing it for himself the people around him are important and he turns down the Avengers Academy. Mm-hmm. You know, that that whole thing, um, really, really cool. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, really good. I think, uh, speaking of Pitch Perfect, how about getting on to the villain of this movie? Our Batman has taken flight again. <laughs> Our Birdman has also taken flight, yes. Michael Keaton. Yes. Oh, my God. He. Um, speaking of Batman, of course, there is the nod and the reference to his uh, alter ego, Mm -hmm. alter former life uh, as Batman were him with his mechanical wings as Vulture goes up into the moon and is silhouetted there, which I was just, I mean, to be honest, it's a good job I was in the cinema because, um, yeah. I don't know what I would have done you, to myself. You squeal. Um, I squealed squeal. with joy. Um, <laughs> I just, I love this man. I think um, I love his performance here. And against Tom Holland in the car when it's revealed that he's the father of, of Liz. Um, absolutely a fantastic. You, you could just sense the tension the between these two characters i just loved it kind of a bit like with the the sandman from spider-man 3 or what could have been you know he's a working class hero he's cleaning up this is his kind of big payday mm-hmm. and it all gets ripped he becomes sympathetic yeah you know, it gets ripped fr- away from him by the big multinational with regards to um damage control and it's like so immediately there's that sympathy there and he's like going well if they're going to play with the new technology and bend the rules why not why not i and i really i just loved michael king and i thought the 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 outfit for vulture was fab i loved his mask as soon as those green eyes went on i was just like Pure brilliance, loved it, and the turbines uh, in, in the wings, um, just yeah, Michael, <laughs> Michael Keaton, just. Uh, I'm here. I'm right there with you. That that scene in the car with the confrontation with John Watts took something that anyone could do. Anyone with a camera could put four people, three people in a car and film like that. He the the. Just the writing, the direction on that one scene for me is some of the most suspense-filled cinema I've seen in 2017. Mm-hmm. Like literally, I, I it takes me back to Ex Machina to a degree, where there's that kind of uh, creepy suspense. Like I, I'm like I want to see what's happening, yeah. but like I also want to fast forward this because it's just <laughs> oh, it's killing me. 
Right. But it was straight out of a thriller. It really yes. was. It was mean, great. Like, well, Keaton does with his eyes in the in the rearview mirror as the realization is starting to creep over him of who Peter is. It's just fantastic. It's yeah. it's great. Yeah. The moment the moment where you're you know he's waiting for Liz to get out of the car to have the real conversation with Peter. I love that he plays it off as a, as the I'm the father. I get to have this conversation with your boyfriend uh, while you go off and start to enjoy the dance, Liz. And then he has the real conversation saying he will kill every single person he loves um, if he doesn't step off. You know, yeah. really, really good, really tense scene. Everything from, you know, Beetlejuice to Batman is in Michael Keaton here where he's playing this maniacal, yeah. crazy character, but totally keeping it under the hood of a normal dad and a normal worker, you know? So the, the MCU has to a degree that the, 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 had an issue with its villains. Okay. And I'm laying it out there that to date, this is the best, most well-rounded kind of, uh, in my opinion, mm-hmm. like to, to the vulture is the most well-rounded from a character development point of view villain in the MCU right now. And I'm not talking about Netflix piece because obviously we have Kingpin, we have Wolf and Fisk, which is some of the best. I'm talking right, like cinematic, cinematic, mm-hmm. right? Because you shouldn't be separating he, that. We talk about. We talk I about know. The yeah, all yeah. The time. I know. No, but yeah. I just mean because we've had Ronan the Accuser, not. The best backstory in the world, in the film, right? Oh, it's not, just no. it was a bit weak. Yeah. But this film, they built this perfectly because you, you, you understand Adrian Toomes. Yeah. yeah. Like he, from the opening the scene with his origin to a degree is amazing because. Oh, oh, by the way, did you notice that that exact hall was the one used where the Shatari monster falls into? That was it. Like, cool. yeah. they actually recreated the set. Um, but having it, like, open with that and expect, like, everyone would feel that. It's like, hold on. You've, I bought all this gear. The city has made me do it. I've, like, I've overextended myself. If you, if you, if you, Mr. and Mrs. Damage Control, who, oh, I love that introduction, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. Time Daily from Cagney and Lacey. Uh, and yeah. Nice little camera yeah. there. Quite cool. Um, and unfortunately, a failed sitcom that we were going to get and now we'll never get. Yeah. Um, which I still thought would potentially now, if they get enough feedback, they may kind of pull that pilot again out of the dusty drawer that it's in. Well, but, let's see. Powerless yeah. didn't do very well for DC. So No. Mm. Yeah, I know. But there were a few Plus, references to Damage Control over on over on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So, uh, so nice yeah. to see them fully realized in the movie. Damage Control has been around for many, many years in comic books. Quite cool to see them in here. Yeah, and I, it's just having you, you, you feel for tombs in this. Mm-hmm. Like this is a new origin for him. It's not the comic book origin of the Vulture. This is a, they've done an MCU version, which is fine because he is an average Joe man who loses his business, and in order to keep his family and his his workforce alive. He sits down and goes, well, hold on. If they're not going to play fair, I'm not going to play fair. Mm -hmm. And that's simply, you can see the progression because then he goes to weaponry. And now he is a bit crazy, but the first kill kill we see him do, um, which is spoilers, he kills the original Shocker because 
with a gun. <laughs> Shocker. He turns to the tinker and goes, I thought that was the anti-gravity gun. That's right. And then goes, eh. like just that. Yeah. You see yeah. his progression through this film. Yeah. Like in fairness, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to slightly dispute, not dispute, but disagree with you on the best MCU villain. I think there's a, there's one big thing that's hampering the MCU now in their villains. And that's because they have so many heroes to get through in every single film. Look how many were in civil war and Captain America is my absolute favorite character. How many characters they had to deal with in civil war. I still think uh, the villain in that movie is probably my favorite MCU villain because he is a normal man, hard done by, by the actions of these heroes. And he uses that against them all. I think that that's, that's something I thought was played really, really well. You but are I, referring to Zemo. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, but I love yeah. the fact that in um, that in Homecoming, they've, they're able to strip it back to a really small cast of people, loads of unknowns in here playing playing some very small parts and some background characters here, which allows you to do one hero character versus one villain character really here so that allows them to get a lot and then you get an actor like michael keaton in to play the role and you are you're striking gold here you know yeah yeah like i'm not going to dispute you with zemo like i i think in our review i did say he he was one of the best Mm -hmm. he's just been in my opinion now overshadowed by by the vulture Mm -hmm. by michael keaton um, and to, to kind of top it off, because I know there are other Spidey villains here that we want to talk about quickly. The the ending, the post credit scene, right? Mm-hmm. Which is we see him talk to Blank, which we'll get to, and he <laughs> has the chance to Scorpion. reveal what he knows. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that is the other villain. I just thought we shouldn't. Soon. I just thought Blank. <laughs> it's blankety blank. But he has the chance to reveal Spidey's identity yeah. right yeah. there and then to someone who's right out like I'm me and my mates want to kill him and he doesn't. Yeah. Now it could be because Spider Man saved him, it can be because Spider Man knows who's family. Like there's loads of reasons. But that giving that character that just two seconds, like mm-hmm. not I'm not doing it. And we don't know why he didn't do it. It's still now m- making me think about why. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I definitely like that whole concept with it throughout the film between those two characters. When they do get the opportunity to talk, he tells Peter the reason why I'm letting you go is because you saved my daughter. So, hey, that's a yeah. good one. Thank you. That gives you one chance. And then he saves uh, he saves um, Tombs at the end of the movie as well. So he's now saved the life of his daughter and him. So yeah. uh, he gets a chance here. I don't know whether it means that we will never see um we'll never see the vulture back in future oh, yeah. as a villain because... of of uh, Peter Parker but yeah. um, but I like that he's given him a chance here. Yeah. yeah. I I hope we do see him back. Oh, yeah. I I really do. Um I think just coming on the best villain, yes. Um I think I'm I'm kind of with Chris here. Mm-hmm. I think he is he's certainly up there for me. Yeah. Um and I think it's just you see and um, a much more complicated story um, of him, you know, having stuff taken away from him. And then just that, you, you know, you do, you sense he's a loner with, with his, with his band of brothers around him, like the Tinkerer and, and Shocker. Um, and then you realize he's a family man as well. And it mm-hmm. brings it back to that first opening scene um, where he, he's looking after his, his, his family, but you, you've seen him killed and, and it makes for a really complex kind of character. And then 
added to that the complexity that, yeah, he now knows the identity of Spider-Man and um, he knows that it's Peter Parker mm-hmm. and he doesn't reveal it. So it, he's, it, it was a really great kind of journey that he went on, I think. And maybe that's a Sony influence, ultimately. I mean, let's not forget this is kind of co-produced. Uh-huh. Um, because... You know, I thought the Sandman was good. Doc Ock. It's almost like a, 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 a melding of those two. You've got the sort of working class down and out kind of aspect of, of the Sandman. Um, and he takes his protection of his family through by selling illegal arms. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, he's got the, uh, you know, mechanical wings of the vulture, almost a bit like, obviously, with the um, the append the mechanical appendages of uh, Doc Ock. But mm-hmm. I-, I wonder whether there was a-, a-, a Sony influence here with regards to um, the villain, or whether, yeah, MCU are just starting to to get to grips with how to do villains. And again, I think this s- the smaller scale fits that nicely absolutely um because yeah um big grand scale villains need to be grand and big and i think the the one that's worked for them best has been loki um to an extent you know uh, and yeah zemo i really enjoyed that as well Mm -hmm. um definitely but i loved i loved him uh as the villain and i think definitely one of the best uh, in the mcu uh, for sure. I think when you're doing a new type of MCU new movie, you need to have a new type of villain, and this is a great type of villain. I hope he's the kind of template they're able to use in the future to give us a proper villain in, in the MCU movies in the future, definitely. Before we move on, can can we talk about the reveal? Mm-hmm. Like, what did you guys think? So, <laughs> like, we the, having Peter there, opening the door... I've heard other reviews talk now. I think it's a very American thing. People going, "Oh my god!" Like audible gasps uh-huh. in in the cinema. Um, I know. I definitely here in Ireland when I went to see it, we had people less audible gasps, more manic whispering. Yeah, they they never <laughs> shut up in Irish cinemas. You're right. Uh, <laughs> no, I was surprised. I must admit. And then thinking back immediately after it, I was going. How did I not know this? He's been getting phone calls from his wife telling him to come home over and over again throughout this movies throughout this movie. Of course there's gonna be a connection with the character, but no, they they hit it quite well, I think. I think they hit it yeah, I think they hit it well. And I think um yeah, I if I hadn't been in such a comfortable cinema seat, I would have fallen off my seat because um, (laughs) I, I, I think it was it was a great play to have that that twist. It may have been obvious for some, but certainly for me, it it, it wasn't. Um, and uh, I I really really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. But as soon as it happened, it was the shock of thinking, well, yeah, he's a you know he's blue collar family man kind of so, thing. Um, so why wouldn't he have a family? And then for it to be that you know again with um. Peter Parker's date, Liz, for, for that. And it was just like, oh my God. And then, yeah, just all those scenes, I just think cemented, uh, Michael Keaton, uh, Adrian Toomes, the vulture here in this film. Yeah. Uh, as being so, so good because up to that point, it was with, you know, him with his band. All of a sudden, you've got this really creepy, disturbing kind of thriller esque 
vibe going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you realize that, yeah, he's killed someone, yet he's cooking with his wife. Uh, yeah. He's putting a roof over his family's uh, head and, and keeping them in the lifestyle that they're accustomed to or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, okay, this is really interesting. This is cool. And Michael Keaton plays it so, so well. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. They're like, okay. So my take is I knew something. There was, there had to be a twist. I, I was waiting for it in the film. Uh, I did not expect this. Yes. And I, that's a hat off. Like, I love my cliches and tropes. And I, I, it's a trope, but I didn't call it. Nope. And like that for me is a, a hat tip. When he first opened the door, I went, oh my God, he's taken Liz hostage. Oh, nice. Never and that's where my that. head went. I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> like, and then when the mother came in, I was like, oh, oh no, it's not. It's actually, and it clicked and I went, okay, I should have seen this. This was telegraphed a yeah. mile off. As you guys said, the phone calls and everything. I was like, yeah. I went hats off, John, John Watts. I know he had some like oh, influence in the writing on, mm-hmm. of this, um, but I, I like hats off to John, hats off to Jonathan Goldstein, like and other the other John, um, like Thank you. this. <laughs> You're welcome, John, <laughs> and the other John. Um, this was <laughs> this for me was a okay, like hats off, guys. You you you've done something. Like we had the Civil War uh, plot twist. Um, mm-hmm. with uh, the Tony element, but they kind of, I didn't see that coming, but to me, this was still more of a shock. Mm-hmm. Um, right. be- and not because the Civil War one rewrote history. It was huge. Yeah. But this, for some reason, I think it's that th- psychological thriller kind of piece that John brings up. It was very much like, oh no. Like, it was just another right, it was it's, the right point of the film yeah. as well. So you you weren't yes. expecting it. You, but were, it, it. you were expecting this is going to be his date night. It's homecoming. So he's getting yeah. the moment to finally go on a date with the, with the, with the girl. He finally has that moment. And you're just not expecting that the but, door is going to open and this huge tense scene is going to follow. This but moment. it's that the rug is being pulled from him as his mm-hmm. two different worlds collide. Absolutely. And it, it's because I think, again, I think it's, it's so personal. You know, here's the, here's the girl in high school that he, he fancies but can't articulate it. Mm-hmm. He's, he's managed to find the courage. They've gone on a date to homecoming, he's, you know, about to meet the folks and all of a sudden his worlds collide and it's that personal aspect of it. And it's this whole thing of this film kind of focusing down more on the intimate aspects. And that makes it more ripping because it's then, yeah, it, it, it becomes more like a, a, a thriller. It, it, it really does. Um, and I thought it was excellent. Ever. Well, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> All right, I, boys. We are going to need to crack on the supporting, supporting yes. characters. So, yeah. let's quickly talk about the supporting villains and then go in directly okay. into the supporting characters. Yep. So, we had the Shocker, mm-hmm. two variations of him, which I thought was quite interesting. Absolutely. And what I loved um, about the Shocker was I recognized the costume of the Shocker uh, before yep. he even said his name. He's got He had the yellow arms with the uh, diamond cross uh-huh. pattern on them, which was really cool. Then he gets killed. I'm like, okay, I guess that's not the shocker. Then the shocker two comes along, and within about two scenes, he's also wearing the same rough costume. He's also wearing the yellow arms with the uh, with the diamond stripes on him. Thought that was quite a nice little touch there. Just yeah. to, just to remind I, you, this is this is our shocker for the movie. Quite yeah, cool. and I I thought I liked this because 
again, we had our Civil War throwback where the the, the fists are uh, throwbacks to the one that the Skull and Crossbones uses. There you go. Uh, which I thought was great. when he And the, the training of the, the Shocker 2, uh-huh. I thought was fun. I th- thought... But the, Kim the Woodbine, two- who plays the Shocker 2, actually just does a great job in this of selling the idea that he's just kind of been given this weapon, doesn't really want to use it, thinks it's all a bit stupid, and then after a while he's like, this is cool. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. As John kind of gave away earlier, uh-huh. we saw the Scorpion... <laughs> Yes. Well, we saw we saw Mark Garvin, who is the the the, the titular character who becomes the Scorpion, mm-hmm. and to make it ever more slap in the face, he now has a big Scorpion tattoo on his neck. Yep. Yes. Very smart. Nice, nice, nice Easter egg. Could it mean that we will see him in uh, an animatronic Scorpion type outfit in the next one? Maybe. Don't forget, we also saw Cosmo and Harold the Duck in <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh-huh. So it's nothing set in stone, but potentially, yes, we will see him. Yeah, I look- he is he is shacked up with uh, Vulture. Uh-huh. Yeah. So he knows how to put together a good old uh, biomechanical suit. suit. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yes, but then... We also got the Tinker, who actually is the real brains behind the brawn in this. I have to admit, I loved this version of the Tinker. Mm-hmm. Nerdy, not too menacing. Sometimes in the versions of the Tinker, we've got it's this like psychotic man with a genius who likes to think. No, this is a guy who just likes playing with the power cells Absolutely. and making things. Like you see him use the the heist equipment to get a beer out of the fridge. <laughs> like I was like yeah. brilliant. <laughs> and then he keeps wanting to try and test his his skills. So he keeps talking about the high altitude piece and he keeps talking about it and keeps talking about it and keeps talking about it until obviously it becomes we now we know why. Yeah. Uh, obviously being the ship piece. But I love that variation on it. I thought it was a nice it Absolutely. was just a nice version of this character. And I, I love I love when they MCU a character like this and don't call it out. They don't call out he's got a, a moniker from the comic books. I was the whole time I was going, is it the fixer? Is it the tinker? Is it the fixer? Is it the tinker? No, he's constantly tinkering with stuff. That must be the tinker. Uh, yeah, I just, I just really liked how they do that and how they bring in these kind of characters from the comic books. They don't need to. It's just a lovely touch. Uh, it feels like we're getting a setup here for possibly the Sinister, Sinister Six or the Fearsome Four, whichever version they want to use as uh, as foes of Spider-Man in the future. As these characters started to appear and get their own weapons or get their own little traits in there, you're kind of going, they're all going to team up together versus Spider-Man in some future movie. Yeah. And I can't wait. Yeah, I, I'm going Spider-Man 3. Um, basically, probably Spider-Man 2 will get a version of the some form of the Green Goblin and we'll get a very MCU Sinister Six mm-hmm. where Spider-Man actually is part of the Sinister Six um, because he... Uh, spoilers for the comic books. Um, but anyway, he it's a long... Go read the Ultimate Universe uh, Spider-Man Sinister Six. <laughs> no spoilers arc. for it's, the comic books. Nice one, Chris. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so let's go talk about the real supporting characters. Mm. And kicking it off, let's talk about... The again a, a topic that a lot of people have given out about on the internet. Shocker! Oh, never read the internet, Chris. What did no, you think? I know uh, we had Aunt May. <laughs> yeah, we have the quite foxy, quite <laughs> um, sassy, sassy Aunt May. So pervy Aunt May. 
I wouldn't go that far. Let's oh, not yeah, go that yeah. far. No, no. There was a, an uncomfortable moment where she lingers slightly too long on Peter Parker's abs, his Marvel <laughs> abs, which I think any ant... Maybe it was a look of pride. Yes. I'm I'm going for the look of pride. I'm going yeah, for... I think I'll go she is, too. Yeah, exactly. So, boys, what did we think? We had... As I said, this is the youngest version of Aunt May. She is de-aging in every film, we guess. Um, it's <laughs> he a... said it's Benjamin Button, basically. <laughs> um, she's getting younger. Like I love I loved this. The concept is that he's 15 years old. You know, The idea of his aunt being 70 if he's 15 is is completely... It's really unlikely. Like it's, it's very unusual that you would have someone 60 years your senior as your aunt. So like she's in her late 40s, almost almost 50 now, Marissa Tomei. And yeah. she looks fantastic. But that's the right age for someone who's got a nephew who's 15, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I loved her uh, in this role. I thought it just... It felt really natural. It didn't feel overbearing. And again, I think it was like actually, you know, with this new version, um, you know, version 3.0 uh of of uh aunt may i think um i love the previous aunt may absolutely and really you know it is it, the pretty faithful to the comics you mm-hmm. know but my goodness i feel now that the old aunt may was way overbearing and i like the kind of more standoffish uh, of uh, this new souped-up, um, sexy, sassy uh, Aunt May, I thought it. I, like, I thought I like it worked friends. with the new dynamic. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I thought it really worked. She was still kind of badgering, but it just didn't feel uh, too kind of oppressive because maybe closer to the, each other in terms of yeah. age-wise, that yeah. it, it felt fresher it, may, it makes sense i love the scene in the restaurant where the two of them are sitting down chatting and she gets an extra dessert from the waiter and uh, and peter has a little slag at her that no that's because he thinks you're attractive aunt may and it's yeah. like me really uh lovely little moment <laughs> the the moment where ned and peter are going to the party and she decides to have the talk about his body changes and they yeah. both kind of laugh it off and run out of the car um you know i love those little moments it does feel like I've got ants like this, you know, ants that are much more my friends than than my instructors in life. And that's what this is representative of. This is a much closer relationship than you probably saw in the past. Um, the old Aunt Mays always felt like they were just mother replacements and that's it. And they kept him at arm's length because they were replacing his mother. This Aunt May really works as a friend character to, to Peter. A yeah. confidant. Yeah, a modern yeah. mother. Modern mother. Yeah, mother. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, um, really good. Yeah, like I for me, this, I, I'm I, I'm happy with the Benjamin Button sassy, sexy anime. Um, <laughs> so in, in Spider Man Two, she is going to be about twelve, right? Yeah, she's yes, actually exactly, going to be in yeah. high school with him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah no, I I think I, I I like the talk. One of my again, my favorite scenes is the montage teaching him how to dance, tie his mm-hmm. tie his tie. Because you do see that that scene in the, the the restaurant where they're just eating and having they're they're swapping stories and then he has to ask about it for a new backpack. Yeah. Like it does seem that this Aunt May is like confidant. She is now. We still don't know where Uncle Ben is mm-hmm. or who Uncle Ben was or if there ever was an Uncle Ben. I think there is that, a reference to it in the movie. He does say that she's gone through a lot and he doesn't want to put her through anymore. Um, which I like. I liked that. That's the reference. I like that they that they again don't harp on. Do you not remember a couple of years ago 
this happened and he died and now she's been left alone. There's not, there's none of that. I like that it's just yeah. she's been put upon, she's lost things, things have gone not so well for her, and I don't want to be a burden to her. Absolutely, it was yeah, great that I like that. Yeah, it was great that one of the longest product placements uh, on uh, film has finally come to an end. <laughs> no yes. more Uncle Ben. No more Uncle no. Ben. The one interesting bit I heard just before I read, I should say, just before recording, um, there was uh, Melissa was uh, doing an interview and she there was a deleted scene, which hopefully we'll get in the Blu-ray release, mm-hmm. where she saves a girl and Peter sees her. And um, basically it's Matt May's heroic moment. And we, we find out that that's what Peter does. Peter does... Um, he gets his heroic streak and wanting to help streak from her. Cool. Um, and Peter sees her do this. But then when Peter's in the Spider-Man suit, gets home, she, he goes and asks how my hair day was. She lies and says, oh, everything was fine. And nothing kind of happened because she doesn't want to play it down and worry him. And he says the same thing about being Spider-Man, who she sees getting kind of roughed around. Blah, right. blah, blah. I loved it. I thought it was a really nice. It's a nice idea. Like yeah. I want to see yeah. that. I actually want to see the scene and the the deleted scenes, and um, because I think they'll round out the character. Mm-hmm. But before we move on to the other sporting characters, mm-hmm. the closing f bomb that is cut, <laughs> shall we say, <laughs> boys? Much like Avengers it, Assemble in uh, <laughs> in Civil yes, War, yeah, exactly, um, yeah, yeah, uh, yes. That's a, a pretty huge moment for Aunt May to know that Peter Parker's Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's really interesting. I don't know where they're going to take See, it. She keeps spying into his room. <laughs> <laughs> lock your door, Peter. Well, that was one part I was going to say. He doesn't lock his door. And I'm a bit like, really, a 15-year-old boy not who, <laughs> yeah. not locking his door half the time? I'm pretty, I, I remember when I was 15, my door was permanently locked. Oh, God. <laughs> Yes, but I yeah okay I love this I I'm dying to see where they take this mm-hmm. because the aftermath of this is Infinity War is Avengers yeah so will we see it in that will Tony call upon Spidey and Aunt May goes oh you're not going out there like kind of thing <laughs> see it doesn't it doesn't feel like the character would do that and that's why I kind of like it it does feel like she would be supportive of him as long as yeah. he is doing the right thing and that's that's why I think her character arc in the movie is is really good to set up the fact that if she does learn his identity she's not going to be like the overbearing uh, Aunt May in the past Spider-Man hasn't done anything wrong to the city like when I am I right in saying that in Spider-Man 3 Aunt May or Spider-Man 2 Aunt May realizes that Peter is Spider-Man or there's some connection between the two that she's making. Something about what when she's the, talking to him. Um, the uh, the amazing Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire once. Right, and, and at that stage, there's a lot of criticism of Spider-Man in the media that she believes effectively. So, yeah, in this case, we're, we have a, a local guy who's putting a mask on and saving local people. And, you know, in that case... To, to John's point, in that case, uh, this Aunt May would be willing to probably let him go off and do what he's doing. And we didn't uh, burn him. <laughs> no, no. I, I, the one bit I will say is it, I think we will get the iconic scene of Tony and Aunt May facing off when he tries to take or right. bring a kind of Peter somewhere. That's She's like, you're not taking, you're not going to bring him into war or don't. We'll get the like him closing the door, going, "Don't go into space like you did last time. Bring him home safe." <laughs> blah blah blah. Um, okay, so we we have a raft of other supporting characters. So let's talk about the comic relief. Oh yes, yeah, Ned. 
I I loved this character. I absolutely loved him. Mm-hmm. I think for yeah the comic relief, uh, just that interaction with him and uh, and Peter, uh, it just felt like kids at high school, sure. um, and it was really good. And I have to say, I loved it when he asked, "Do you lay eggs?" <laughs> um, that for me was hilarious. I just the idea um, that. Spider-Man would lay eggs or <laughs> summon an army of, of uh, spiders like with Ant-Man. Like Ant-Man, yes. Um, yeah. Really, really cool. But I, I thought this, I thought he was a great character. Um, I really did. I thought it was absolutely, you know, along with uh, Peter Parker, one of the hearts and souls of, of the movie to be absolutely, honest. Absolutely, absolutely. Really well played. Loved this character from the moment he dropped that uh, that Death Star Lego uh, Lego Death Star on the floor at the at finding out that his best friend is Spider-Man from YouTube. Uh, from that moment onwards, he sealed his place in my heart as one of the best comedy characters in Marvel. Loved the character. Yeah, I'm the exact same. Um, I love that this is so we he is led Ned Deed from the comic books, uh-huh. but he's an amalgamation of the MCU Miles Morales' best friend Ganky Lee right. as well. Um, and I, I like that they kind of brought these two two people together. Um, and he, I love how he got his, he got his own arc as well. Mm-hmm. He got his going from nothing to kind of being like Spider-Man's best friend. Yeah. Becoming then Oracle, the, the man on the computer. Yeah. yeah. That was cool. I loved him rolling back and forward in yeah. the library between the four computers because it just seems like such a low rent version of Oracle from yeah. Batman. It's, it's, it's yeah. really like, where yeah. do you go that has loads of computers that I can move back and forward and look at maps and look at stuff that's going on over there and look at other things yeah. and you see him just wheeling <laughs> back and forth. Like, what are you doing, Ned? I'm watching porn. <laughs> yes. That, that, that was me, really good. That was just perfect. Yes. But one of the other hidden characters in the movie really is uh, Zendaya. So Zendaya is a well-known character if you're under the age of about 15. Um, she is an actress that works on Disney Channel. Uh, throughout this film, I loved the fact that I had actually heard about this character from loads of press that were being done. I'd never seen the actress before. She's in the background for most of the film. I actually thought the actress who played Liz was Zendaya because she seemed to be so much to, to the forefront. Uh, I love the fact that this is the MJ for this movie. Now, okay, there may have been other statements made after this may not be the Mary Jane Watson of this universe. It is if it works, right? Um, so I love the fact that she is just a really good snarky teen every time she's in the background of scenes. She just lights up a little yeah, moment, absolutely. an extra little comedy character, another member of this nice John Hughes type uh, high school comedy that's going on in the background of the Spider-Man movie. I thought she worked really, really well. Definitely. Yeah, no, look, I, I've seen my MJs. I've seen my MJ on screen. I've seen my Gwen Stacy on screen. Mm-hmm. I'm open to seeing this version of MJ on screen where she is not the 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 class she well we already know she's gifted we know she's intelligent but she's not the 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 beauty that everyone um uh, that you would expect with the go get him tiger MJ and she's not then the class president kind of Gwen Stacy yeah she's the loner kind of corner kind of back row doodling away kind of uh, MJ and I'm like 
I want to see this. I want to see yeah. a romantic involvement. I want to see how the character progresses. I know we saw her in the premiere. We know that they can, like, they can make her the drop dead gorgeous um, kind of MJ where you face a tiger, you've hit the jackpot. There you go. Like, yeah. she can deliver that line because she can be. But I, I want to see where, like, I'm assuming in Homecoming 2, or whatever they do call it. <laughs> I know. Um, They're running home, out of words. Homeco- <laughs> homecoming again. Um, we will see that bloss- blossoming love interest kind of culminating in maybe some kind of prom or something. And that scene where he'll take her and it's face it, Tiger, you've hit the jackpot. It is, and then that's, it's going yeah. to be Spider-Man prom and Spider-Man debutante ball, isn't it? It's their Spider-Man yeah. graduation or something. Uh, I, I think hope graduation. Not. I think <laughs> the, they'll, they'll continue with this, play on graduation. It's him graduating to from Queens to to Manhattan. There you go. I think that's what we'll get. Or it could be um, matriculation. Ah, yes. Teach a new word to the kids. Why not? Spider-Man matriculation. All right. Um, So another one of the characters that's in the, that's in another one of the main characters in the background. We have had him before in some of the other movies. Flash Thompson. I have a very new version of Flash Thompson. Uh, In the past, he's always been a kind of the bully character um, to Peter Parker, uh, the kind of buff uh, guy to the nerdy guy, uh, complete opposite of Peter. I kind of like what they're doing here with Flash Thompson. I like the idea that he's uh, very similar to Peter. He's, he's as intelligent as Peter. He's His replacement with Peter doesn't turn up to debate club. It, it's always Flash gets the second chair. So that's kind of the reason why he's bullying Peter the whole time. Uh, Penis Parker, the shouse that's going on in, the, <laughs> in, in bed at, when he's DJing at Liz's party is hilarious. Uh, and I'm sure really sad for poor Peter that uh, that he's suddenly been reduced to Penis Parker, which will probably <laughs> stay with him for the rest of his time in high school. Um, but I really like the idea of having Flash Thompson being a contemporary of Peter, very similar to him, and probably just being jealous of the fact that people will always choose Peter over him. Yeah. It's a nice choice. I Yeah, I can't agree more. Again, I've seen the Flash Thompson twice already, mm-hmm. the bully. Like, I'm open to this updated version of a bully mm-hmm. who probably uses his popularity. He probably has a million Instagram followers and uses it to bully, cyber bully Peter. Like, we will see that. And that's who this person is. He is a troll. He is not He is the the new bully for the age. Mm-hmm. And again, jumps back to the John Hughes. Like, the style, which is, like, they're all similar. They're all kids. It's not one, the intelligence is there. But it's, it's, I keep talking, we talk about the local and the, the it's the small setting. The, the, the bad guy in this is not, like, the bad guy in Flash Thompson is, Peter Parker's rival mm-hmm. like it's not like to a degree another flying goblin <laughs> we have Flash Thompson yeah. and I think this is a lovely view on it absolutely yeah I want to move on to Tony Stark right can we cut we there was fears going to this everyone thought this was going to be Iron Man 4 the film because we did get some heavy credits um boys I'm it was just the right amount for me. I, I like love, for me, I, I loved it. Can, can I quote uh, Empire Magazine's review of this movie, which I thought was perfect, <laughs> which was uh, Robert Downey Jr. literally phones in his performance as Tony Stark, which <laughs> I thought was perfect. He's he's perfectly used. He had, they, there yeah. was no no huge moment where this is 
Robert Downey Jr. doing a Robert Downey Jr. movie. He's used in all the right places. And I suppose the movie leaning on Happy Hogan a lot more than Tony Stark, a lot more than I was expecting. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Uh, was a really good choice for this film. This is, it, it, you know, Happy is the bumbling adult. You know, he's the he's a great foil to if you want to have a, a kid centric movie, you have to have an adult that also is a bit of an idiot. So uh, Happy was the right choice to be to probably do the scenes that I thought were going to go to to Tony Stark. Yeah, definitely. Like, I I completely agree. I think he was used just the right amount, and I think, um, you know, for me, again, the the whole lean over where he's opening the door. I know that was in the trailer as well. <laughs> that still just made me chuckle. And um, just I, but I I like for a hug. I'm yeah, opening the door. I'm opening the door. <laughs> really good. I like the fact that Tony Stark was the one. You know, in subtext to deliver with great power comes great responsibility. Uh-huh. And I like the idea that because of Tony's nature and for Peter, it's like, why is he not giving me attention? What, you know, that, the, that kind of age difference. And I like the idea that, um, you know, Peter thought he was being ignored by him because he was a kid when in fact it was, no, we handed it to the FBI because we thought they would do it. It's just that maybe there's still not that relationship there between yeah. Peter and, and Tony to that extent. I like that kind of standoffishness or apparent standoffishness, which actually he's watching him all the time. Um, he's got Happy Hogan, the chaperone. So he's there all the time, but it's not on screen. And yeah. it's just, I think the right amounts definitely yeah there's so much to pick apart about this movie uh in in a good way so much to talk about about this movie i just want to pick up on one tiny little point that john mentioned there the conversation between tony and peter where tony says to peter i gave that to the fbi who are the people to deal with this stuff this is something that's kind of answering the question in the mcu of you have the avengers who take care of the space stuff you have dr strange who takes care of the uh, other realms and uh, multi-dimension stuff. You have the defenders who are the street level people who are taking care of the hand really is what we've learned over the course of the four seasons that we had. And Peter Parker was supposed to be operating kind of below them. But what Tony Stark is telling him is there are people that operate below all of this stuff, all of these people. They are called the police force. They are called the fire brigade. They are called the FBI and the CIA. They're all involved in taking care of the world. We only try and help people that can't be saved by those people. And you're not at our level yet, Peter. I just thought it was a nice little commentary on something that we've kind of wondered about who takes care of the day-to-day dangers that happen in the Marvel Marvel USA, we'll call it. And the people that take care of those are just the same people that take care of them in our world. Yeah, the Sokovia Records. Well, just the normal day-to-day police officers, fire service, FBI. I like that there's a little reference to them in there. Uh, The superheroes are saying, we're not taking over the jobs of the people who are paid to do them. We're here to take care of the things they can't take care of. I thought that was a nice little moment. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, sorry for derailing it there. No, no. But So first point, one I am sure John Favreau is so happy he self-cast himself as Happy Hogan. Um, I say he's now raking in the money and so happy about it. I loved him as Happy Hogan. He was the proxy mentor. He was used at the right amount, yeah. and it stopped becoming an Iron Man 4 film. Mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr. in this phoned it in, but in, as you said, that beautiful way where he actually phoned in an Iron Man saving scene. Oh, brilliant. Um, and I thought it was fantastic. I loved the ending bit as well with that, the, the three of them again talking. But more than that, the scene you just mentioned when he's giving out to Peter and he mentions the FBI yeah. 
and that culmination in it's like I'm trying to help you like why won't you let me help you yeah. and then he's like well I have the suit I have the power and he's like no you can't do anything with the suit you do not deserve the suit but by proxy this that scene acting as the with great power comes great responsibility but if you're not willing to put the effort in and if you're not good enough you don't deserve the power or the responsibility mm-hmm. yeah that for me it was perfect and i want to see more i want to see i tony i will be unhappy if robert Downey jr does not make some form and john favreau in the next um the next spider-man because he is now that he is the the stick to daredevil he is the, the xavier to the x-men in that he he will provide the mentorship uh, and that he will be the teacher to Peter Parker. Right. But he's going to allow Peter to make his own bloody mistakes. Mm-hmm. Like he's not going to pull him out of the, the all the dangers. Um, but he is uh, willing enough to help him out when he makes the stupid mistakes big enough, such as the fairy scene, which we can talk about in a bit. He's willing to step in and scold him and go, you overreached. You need to solve this. And don't forget, actually, I'm solving things too on the background, or actually the FBI kind of thing. Yeah, um, absolutely. You're not yeah. Ready I, I love that they still keep the, the pieces of, of Robert Downey Jr.'s character as Tony Stark. I love that it is, he's still crap at kids. We found that out in, in Iron Man 3. He's still a child himself, and he's terrible dealing with children. I love that he's still looking for approval from Peter Parker, going... Uh, oh, because I did that, is that the reason why you, you changed your mind and why you realized you, you should be uh, going back to being uh, being a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man is because <laughs> I did it? That's what it is, wasn't it? Yeah, it was because hmm. I gave you the right guidance at the right time. He's still a needy child. Absolutely. Tony Stark. Always has been. And I love that it's, that's continually played throughout this. So I'm not too sure whether we're going to see him back in Homecoming 2 or whatever it's called. We'll definitely see this relationship continued in the the Marvel the three Marvel movies that Tom Holland's going to be doing as Spider Man and um, I'm wondering whether they're just going to move on and let Spider Man make his own mistakes with maybe a phone call from Tony. Well, that's the thing. I like Bar killing him off in the Avengers, the, the in the Infinity Wars. Like they will have to even have some form of phone call because he now is central central to the 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 Spider Man lore in the MCU. Maybe. He 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 took Peter from the YouTube boy to Civil War yeah. to that scene, brought him in his underoos, and now he's upgraded him and brought him. He's being the mentor. So bar death, destruction, or falling out, we're left with he has to to some degree be in it. And I would be happy. I, I just if- w- I just wonder if Happy's going to be just a little bit more likely to pass the messages on to Tony next time. <laughs> I think that's good. <laughs> but I don't I don't think he needs to be in the film. I mean, because otherwise, yeah, there's a danger that Iron Man is just going to creep into Spider Man, and like he's got him in on the Avengers. It will certainly cross over with regards to the you know the the MCU Infinity Wars mm-hmm. and so on. But I think with Spider Man, hopefully they keep it at at least this level, if not less, because I think it's Spider Man and Spider Man operates on his own rules. But if he's part of the Avengers, then he'll be with Tony. 
in that sense. But I mean, I like, I like that relationship. Absolutely. Don't get me wrong. But I think for the Spider-Man films, um, you know, Tony is going to have to just step back because, um, in fact, the ending of this is saying, look, Tony, I don't want to be in the Avengers Academy. I want to go off and defend my own neighborhood. Uh, but that's not to say I'm out. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that whole ending is saying, thanks, Tony, for all your help, but I need to find my own way. And that will leave, um, Tony, at least in the Spider-Man series of, of films between Sony and MCU, uh, MCU and Marvel, that Tony's influence will not be as obvious within the movies. Okay. Well, Okay, I, I think, yeah, I think they're all valid points because who knows where it's going to go. Exactly. So we have one other sporting character who who we've seen and, well, actually we have two, but we'll discuss one later. We have Aaron Davis. Donald mm. Glover himself is in this film. Boys, the, the, I, I'm, I, I take all the Easter eggs. <laughs> I want to let you guys. You took my Easter egg, Chris. I shall never forgive you. I know, but I'm giving you this Easter egg. So no, I love Donald Glover. Um, absolutely. Um, he is, of course, um, the uncle of Miles Morales. That's right. Um, and not a Morales, but a Davis. So uh, once removed, maybe. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, is also known as the Prowler. Uh, but yeah, I, I really, it was only. In fact, it's almost a cameo, I suppose, rather than supporting character in a sense. But like, um, I really enjoyed uh, seeing Donald Glover on, on screen. Um, I, I think he's fantastic from Community mm-hmm. uh, through to his uh, recent stuff. He's obviously going to be as well in the Star Wars mm-hmm. movie about Han Solo yeah. and so on. His so, TV show Atlanta is very good as well. Yeah, so. uh, absolutely. Um, so. Like it was just really understated, fairly kind of deadpan, but I I really enjoyed it. Uh, I loved him getting sort of locked onto the boot of his car, uh, trying to give Spider Man a bit of street cred as well. Uh, just really uh, a cool little cameo slash supporting mm-hmm. aspect here, I think, and obviously with a big um, a big impact for for Spider Man. Could have a big impact in the future, definitely. Yeah. The, the reference is that he, his nephew lives in the city. So uh, so like that little touch that he's going to help Spider-Man out because he doesn't want the uh, doesn't want the damage happening to the community where his where his uh, nephew. And lives. maybe then Peter Parker will snuff it in uh, Infinity Wars. Never know. I loved that, that Donald Glover was given this. Um, he he has voiced Miles Morales in uh, mm-hmm. the animated shows. And there's a question mark whether he is uh, voicing um, Miles Morales in the new upcoming uh, Spider-Man animated film. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I like they made him the prowler. The potential of getting him on potentially on screen as some kind of souped-up uh, villain or kind of anti-villain. I don't know what to do. Making getting to see him on the prowler getup would be cool. And th- there's a nice little nod here as well. The license plate on the car that he's webbed to, UCSMO1, which is Ultimate Comic Spider-Man number one, where we get the first appearance of Miles Morales. Very good. Um, oh. Nice little nod. Cool. It 
this was, I feel, some form of fan service. Um, there are lots of rumours that we can get to at a later point or in another episode where Miles may come into the MCU. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Who knows? But I think this was... It was good. It hit the nail on the head. Absolutely. Uh, and there we go. So, at this point, uh, moving on to point four, typically we would talk about the hero-villain relationship. And I want to bring in one of the, the, the part that joins the hero and villain and their relationship in this, mm-hmm. which is Liz Allen. Uh-huh. Liz Allen or Liz Toombs, question mark? I We need to figure that one out. She kept her mother's maiden name. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll figure that part out. Yes, so Liz Allen is the connecting tissue between our hero and our villain. Absolutely. Guys, what do you think? It was great. I mean, I think we'd mentioned, we've mentioned it before, yeah. really, that she was the crucible for for these two um these protagonists and yeah. antagonists uh she was the center of it and i mean i think it really just elevated uh peter parker spider-man and uh tombs and uh vulture here with this this single focal point of Liz uh, and her storyline of, of you know gradually sassying it up to Peter uh, getting the date and then the reveal that obviously her father is the bad guy yeah, yeah it yeah. is Peter's uh, nemesis that he's been fighting a- around uh, New York uh, all this time and it was really really good um i think it really added so much to this movie uh, Liz Allen was originally introduced. She's been around since the introduction of Spider-Man in, in the Amazing Fantasy. Right. Um, and then wasn't actually uh, named until, I think it was issue 14. Right. She's always been a supporting character of Spider-Man. And I like that she was used as this connective tissue. Mm-hmm. Was her performance fantastic? I'm middling on her performance. Okay. Um, it, it, she was good. Now, and look, I'm saying you know, every actor and actress in this in this film was good. Mm-hmm. No one phoned in a performance except for Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm getting I'm getting mild, mileage out of this Empire quote, uh-huh. but I'm glad she's not the continued love interest, right? Because I just didn't feel that huge amount of chemistry between them. Do you know, there's one scene that I thought was fabulous between the two of them. It is just that moment where Peter just says to her, "You." Have you got anybody for this homecoming dance? And she just the way she says, because it, it's a bit of a trope, obviously. But the way she says, actually, I've been too busy organizing this thing to even think about a date. You know, the way she's saying it is, I've been waiting for you to ask me, Peter, but doesn't say I've been waiting for you to ask me, Peter. It's a lovely delivered yeah. line. I think there's a, yes. a lovely moment between the two of them. You know, it is a trope. I'm sure it's been in every single teenage TV show that's ever been out there but I loved it I loved that little moment it was Dawson's Creek yeah but it was central it was that moment it's more that it tells you why Peter's interested in her and that's something that always is missed it's missed a lot in these movies where there's an unattainable girl that the main character is looking for it always seems to forget to tell you why he's interested in her other than she's unattainable Uh, and just that little moment the way she kind of flicks her hair and says that you kind of go yeah I can see why Peter's interested in this in this girl Absolutely. Yeah, that scene actually, upon remembrance, I did love that because yeah. I I have personal I have personal memories of attempting that as a child uh, and asking girls out and that fear and the stammering and the oh my god, how do I actually say this in a sentence without 
stopping and starting and <laughs> it was beautiful that scene yeah i have to admit i did love it nice. i did like her being on par with uh in terms of intelligence with peter as well that she isn't a genius as well mm-hmm. she's going to the same school she was head of their academic decathlon am i right in saying that yeah. yes yeah. academic decathlon team um i liked i liked that okay so i liked the character i liked what they the, they did with this i liked the connective tissue I, I'm like 80% in on that actress. We probably won't see her again. I She did a great performance. Um, it's just, I'm like, eh, not 100%. After what Spider-Man did to her father, we could see her back as a supervillain in the next, uh, uh, next Spider-Man movie. Could she be the next Goblin? I mean, Goblin 2.0? I mean, New Goblin? I mean, uh, yeah. yes. She didn't seem too happy about being sent away to another city. Uh, yes. At the end of this movie. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, th- I think as well, her role was to be kind of slightly in the background it, it it was it was an ordinary girl doing ordinary stuff now you know clever engaged in, in the high school but she wasn't the pom-pom cheerleader yeah. or, or something like that that was trying to and be the the absolute queen bee of the school she was in her own right yeah. i think uh, that and that's what peter kind of honed in on too and then um you know obviously the revelation but um yeah i i think that was kind of the role of her being within peter's circle she was the queen bee but mm-hmm. within the high school no so she had to play i think quite steady in that sense sure. she wasn't she didn't have the role of a ned or a flash thompson which were the or even uh mj uh with regards to the 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 snarky teen so immediately relatively to all those other three that have got these sort of belt in lines or, or comments and um, she she didn't have that and the moment came where effectively he asked her out, and mm-hmm. I think that was a really good scene. But great, great connective tissue between the heroes and the hero and the villain of this movie, definitely, and a nice little, nice little moment between the two of them. Uh, but oh, really, yeah. only Michael one Keaton. last point really to talk about, which is the final battle. We've talked about some of the battles and some of the moments. Obviously, there's these the big ferry scene, the Staten Island ferry scene, which was fantastic. Really loved that moment a lot more uh, in that scene than I was expecting, even from the trailers. Yeah. I, I, I'm 100% with you on this. I thought that was, it was your act two standout kind of kind of piece. It was the, the ramp up there. The, I, again, it was an iconic kind of shot where he's flinging through, trying his best to pull it all together. He misses, he nearly gets there. It was 99.5 or 95.9% structurally and he missed one and it all starts to fall yeah. apart again. Yeah. And then he gets that, as you kind of the trailer showed us, and it, every trailer spot had it, that iconic scene where he's straining against trying to keep it together. We have our Jesus and, Christ pose again. Yeah, no, th- yes. th- this to me was straight out of Spider-Man 2 with the train. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. the train yeah. scene on water. Um, and actually, the, uh, <laughs> the only thing that spoiled this for me were all of Tony Stark's tech. <laughs> coming in to the rescue. Um, I wish it had just been kind of Tony and that the Iron Man suit along with Spider-Man could have, could have pushed it together and then doing his welding thing. That brilliant. But all the little bots coming out, I was well, like, oh. 
Well, again, you know, on purpose, it's saying here that, that Peter can't handle this level of challenge. No, exactly. So that, that's what it's, no, saying. I get, it's saying. I get that. I get ha- that. And be. I loved everything that went after it, but it was just like, okay, deploy. The, I mean, it, it is. No, no, no. The, the point is that Tony is saying to him, you can't handle this. This can't be me just coming in in a suit and helping you out, Peter, uh, for 10 seconds, and then we'll fix this problem. It's this is even too big for me as as Tony Stark Iron Man to save this ferry from falling in half. I need all my tech. I need to do all this and maybe and redo it. Yeah. I think that's the whole. But I love the final concept. battle. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. loved what it led up to. Absolutely on, on the Sat Nine and One, but uh, I just yeah, there was okay, correct corrected. But I like there was just that element of it that I was kind of like, and I think it just links in with the whole tech Spidey suit. And, and yeah. I thought, you know, is this getting a bit too kind of. Tony Much. Stark, yeah. Iron Man with the spiders to, to, to the extent. But, I mean, yeah. the final battle I loved because um, he's there in his own outfit. Um, I love um, just again, and it just brings that complexity to the hero and the villain here. Spider Man and, and Vulture were, you know, he goes to rescue him, and it, it, it kind of it, it it sort of reflects back the fact that the vulture had left him under the collapsed warehouse uh, with that iconic scene where Spider-Man goes back to 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 save Adrian Toomes. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Okay, so I want to break this down very quickly, this final battle. So we had the first part, which was in the warehouse, and we had Spider-Man in his... I'm going to call it Ben Riley, early, like Scarlet Spider style mm-hmm. duds with the hoodie. Um, he had him confront Tombs, and you have this soliloquy delivered by Michael Keaton, kind of talking about if you don't back off, I'm going to kill your family. I'm going to kill everyone you love. I'm going to take them and take everything you love away from you. And that build up where Peter is trying to kind of go no way blah, blah, i've got you dead to rights yada 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 and it was i thought it was waiting for like shocker or more people obviously not shocker sorry but someone else to come in or something else to happen and i thought that was the worst ending ever and we get the vulture wings coming in and Brilliant. destroying like the, i thought it was just it was a nice build-up to the beginning yeah i really enjoyed actually um, just again, it, it's the youthful confidence of, of Spider-Man, uh, where he's, he's like, the wings didn't even touch me. And he, uh, Adrian Toomes just turns around and goes, I wasn't aiming for you as all the columns collapse mm. on him. Like yeah. really, really good. Great start to this kind of final battle sequence. Uh, and then the just, like that image of of the vulture coming down on the Stark plane uh, and his claws screeching across the top of the plane uh, towards ba- uh, Batman, Jeebus, uh towards Spider Man, um, I thought was really like awesome. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, biggest Marvel faux pas ever. <laughs> it's okay. You. Since you guys do record a Gotham TV podcast, and since it is Michael Keaton, I'll let you away with there it. You go. A nice plug, by the way. Hey, see? Uh-huh. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, I can't agree. Like, the taking this to the plane, I thought this was fantastic. I, we knew there was going to be a plane scene. Yes. Uh, I thought it was going to be just what we had seen in the trailers, which is him kind of pulling it and kind of 
arcing it away from the Tarus and Queens um, trying to kind of miss, like, avoid the explosion. This was, I this part two of the battle was fantastic. We had Spider-Man in the air without his, with just webs, without his parachute, without anything. It was, this was Spider-Man, like, trying to save the day. And, Absolutely. Like, it was, it was great, him trying to, like, slowly beat his way in, not working, and then this literally swinging and punching of the vulture in midair. I just loved it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And one thing that kept crossing my mind throughout the final scene was how much easier it would have been if he had the tech suit that Tony had given him. Um, yeah. I love that it was difficult. That's that's the whole point. That's the whole point of, of Spider-Man's life, of Peter Parker's life. It's always difficult. There's always a bit of an uphill struggle. So I like that they he, he didn't get the suit back before his final battle. Um, yeah. It's something that's delivered to him at the end of the film. For next time, you can use this. But I love that he's using his own wits. He's using his own his own way of doing things in this final battle. I thought it was a, the perfect way to play it. And as you say, the fact that he saves Adrian Toomes at the end of it. He could have let him get away he could have let him uh let the explosion kill adrian tombs he actually shouts after him trying to save him just like he does with everybody else yeah absolutely so yeah that that final part so that's the act three of the final battle was perfect Mm -hmm. for me that encapsulates what spider-man is and again tom holland gives a beautiful performance in that no, you don't understand the radiation. It's gonna, but and like goes in to save him when he's dying. Well, he's not dying. He's severely injured himself. Mm-hmm. And at the end, we see him save it. We see him web webbing up uh, at the crates. He picks all the crates up, puts them together in a nice pile. Webs tombs there, and then you see him battered and bruised on top of the the queen's kind of state fair like roller coaster ride he's sitting there watching them happy and all them come in and i thought it was brilliant and again it's the note saying your friendly neighborhood spider-man mm-hmm. yeah and it was just the perfect final ending Absolutely. i i don't know what more i would want mm-hmm. i i can't like it was the perfect wrap to uh, this kind of film yeah and i think like that was that's the best way i can kind of leave our kind of discussion points on this mm-hmm. i think it was that that dramatic ending was brilliant. So we've been discussing here, boys, for a while, uh-huh. the beautiful, amazing film that is uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. But do you have any notes here that we, we haven't kind of put in yet so far? I suppose usually we talk about our post-credit scenes. We did talk about the main post-credit scene uh, while we were talking earlier on about Scorpion meeting up with Vulture at the end of the movie. But um, we also get our comedy uh, post-credit scene. Absolutely. Um, something that traditionally, John, you've not been generally quite happy with. No, but I loved it in this. It's exactly what I was going to say. It's this, uh, we are made waste till the final post-credit scene, as, it, as Marvel always put out before their movies come out. A Marvel fan doesn't leave the cinema until uh, after the credits. Uh, so we all sat there waiting for the post-credit scene, and our post-credit scene is the wonderful Steve Rogers, Captain America, public service announcement um, that waiting is difficult, but patience is important, kids. Uh, <laughs> and I loved it. Yeah, really uh, good. What do you think, Chris? I, I was a fan. I loved these PSA um, the moments throughout the 
kind of spattered throughout the film. Like the bit within the gym where he's the gym teacher's standing on the wrong side and he kind of delivers that. I think he's a war criminal now. (laughs) That was just, I was like, this is perfect. He's in his original Captain America uh, Avengers uh, film. It's Avengers 1, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we can see that it's probably filmed around that time. So mm-hmm. it just, yeah, it was this, and the ending, it was just, it was beautiful. It was great. And obviously, you know, great. after after something as serious as Civil War, where, you know, Captain America didn't really crack a smile in, in Civil War, yeah. it's kind of nice to see the fun Captain America back. It's, I love this idea that he went from 1940s, where he was doing these kind of public service announcements around the world to get people to support the, the war effort, and now he gets into the future and they make him do all these all of these public service announcements for the kids who are growing yeah. up in a tough society now. You know, uh, kids, what's it again? Uh, kids, I know all about being cool. I was frozen for 40 <laughs> years. Brilliant, brilliant moment for, for Steve. Uh, but he is definitely so, really yeah. cool. We have Pepper Potts yes, as well. Yes, we do. Uh, yes. Not in a post credit scene, but yeah, she shows up to, to announce, well, uh, to... Uh, announced that Spider-Man is joining the Avengers, uh-huh. but then presumably totally let her down. Yeah, yeah. And did one thing I was confused about: did, are they going to announce their engagement? Because no. it seems like he was walking in, going, "Oh, we're going to do this." I just thought it was quite funny. No, yeah. It was hilarious, but Potts was effectively going, "I can think of a million better things to announce than our split spur, spur of the moment engagement when you haven't even asked me to marry you, Tony." It was basically yeah. what she said. I was really surprised to see. Um, to see Pepper Potts in here, it made total sense to to have that character in there because obviously this is kind of extending the family of uh, of the Starks by bringing in Spider Man a little bit. So of course you're going to have Pepper Potts in there. It makes much yeah. more sense to have her here than have her following Tony Rand when he's on his adventures with the adventures with the Avengers. Sorry, um, so I liked that they that they did include her in the scene. I think it was a, a cool choice. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad to have her back. I'm glad to have Gwyneth Paltrow back mm-hmm. as Pepper Potts. Yeah. Yeah. It was for me happy. There's also um, Thor's belt. Uh, meow meow. <laughs> <laughs> meow meow. Um, Magic what? Magic gorge. What I thought was interesting about this, <laughs> uh, yes, Thor's power belt is mentioned in a really funny way where uh, where Happy can't pronounce the name of it. It is difficult. Look it up. It is Megging Jor, Megging Hord, Megging Jord, something like that. Uh, look it up. The only reason I wanted to reference it in our in our notes was because it actually is very important in Ragnarok and the comic books and the storyline about about Ragnarok. Odin uses this power belt of Thor's to divert. Ragnarok to, to stop Ragnarok from happening. The next movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is Thor Ragnarok. So I thought it was quite interesting. I just referenced the belt of Thor, knowing that some of us would look it up on Wikipedia. There you go. Yeah. Saved you a bit, of, big, a bit of Googling time. Yeah. Now, this is one that, Derek, I think you're going to enjoy. We have our S.H.I.E.L.D. Howling Commandos Easter egg in this film. Okay, so we had Kenneth Choi um, was uh, cast in this film as the the principal and i remember when the casting happened a lot of people went oh but he's already been in the mcu mm-hmm. 40 60 years ago how's this gonna work we all thought it was kind of the the woodard being cast in luke cage civil war mishap again but <laughs> what we do find that um he was reprising kind of reprising his role as jim Moriarty. More Ita, um, from the first Avengers, 
or Captain America the First Avenger when he was the Howling Commando. Yes, he was. Yes. And then we find that in Spider-Man Homecoming, he plays none other than the same Morita, or Principal Morita, in this film. So And in the second half, when Peter's in the office, we have a picture of his great-grandfather, his just grandfather, uh, from Captain America First Avenger on top of his desk. Very and cool. Yeah, you have just been out shielded. I know. Well, I'd howling commandos. Oh, out howling commandos. Very important. Yeah. <laughs> Very good, Chris. Thank you for that. I know. That's pretty cool. I that's know. cool. Yeah, I, did, that's really I certainly cool. did not see that that uh, that picture. But next time I go and see the movie, I'll definitely be looking out for it. Yes. Another one I want to just get off my chest is a nod to the best on-screen superhero kiss ever. I can't beat it. We obviously had where Karen is talking to Peter when he's hanging upside down. He goes, dude, Peter, kiss her. Kiss her now. <laughs> and he's hanging upside down in front of Liz. Of course, having to... The, the only thing I could think of, and the only thing that makes sense, is this is a beautiful uh, reference to the MJ Spider-Man scene in nice, Spider-Man 1. Nice, very English. good. Yeah. Very good. It was just... It was brilliant. We did have one of the character cameo, which we didn't mention earlier on, um, which I loved. The uh, the presenter of the kids TV show, the high school TV show that's going on throughout the movie, is Betty Brandt. Betty Brandt was in all three of the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies as the receptionist in uh, in the Daily Bugle. So uh, nice to see Betty Brandt up on screen Absolutely. Uh, as a terrible, terrible news reporter, <laughs> along with her even worse uh, guest host, <laughs> who's, uh, who's uh, terrible at delivering news as well. So, uh, But I really enjoyed it. It was a nice little gag there. Um, to round it out, I want to do a possible Easter egg or just a nod. I'm not sure. And hopefully one of our fellow defenders who I've talked about within the group about this character uh, and wanting to read up on her um, will hopefully have seen it too. Um, We have the Asian American girl named as Cindy on Peter Parker's academic decathlon team. Mm -hmm. And we didn't see much of her throughout this film. It was uh, played by Tiffany uh, Espazenza, I think. Is, I'm not 100% on the, the name. Um, but she plays none other than Cindy Moon in this, because um, we do see in the credits she's named Cindy Moon. Right. Uh, for our comic book fans, this is the Marvel hero known as Silk, who was recently introduced mm. in the, the into the Spider-Man world who she has the same powers as Spider-Man. She was bit by the same spider as Peter Parker. Um, that gave him the same one that gave him powers. And she was then put into a bunker for 10, 15 years um, by Ezekiel, which I'm not going to get way into the lore here. Oh, yeah. That is, I'm hoping this is, I'm hoping, I don't think we'll see her similar to Harry the Duck and Cosmo. I don't, it, it's a, it's obscure reference character is not as popular as some of the bigger characters but hey they did it with deadpool they did it with guardian galaxy you right. never know but there you go silk yeah was in this i think if there's one thing that kevin feige and marvel have brought to sony on a silver platter is options that's yes. one of the big things they seem to yeah. have given them in this film is and in nice ways not not too, not it not too much in your face they could pretty much go wherever they want to with uh with this spider-man universe in in the future for sony uh it does feel like the Marvel guys came in and went, right, this is how you set up a universe. You've been trying to do it for decades. <laughs> Here yes. you go. This is how you do it. You do a central film that's good, 
and then you have a, little, a, a couple of little nods that allow you to follow off in those in those directions in future if you want to. So it's entirely possible that Silk could be a character that becomes a very big character in future. Yeah, you never know. So, boys, we are at the end of our homecoming wrap-up. So we're almost like at the the end coming, the coming of the end. It's the home run. The home, the run. home run. We've come to the home run. Nice. So the only thing left is to ask is whether each of us defend this movie. So I'm going to kick it off. John, do you <laughs> defend Spider-Man Homecoming? It's always me to go first. Blame the whoever wrote the notes. Yes, I mean, it's in um, there in the notes. I forget to change it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I always want you to go last on the Spider-Man reviews. and I forget to change it every week. I absolutely defend Spider-Man Homecoming. I would give this a top 4.5 Egg laying Spider Man out of five. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I I really enjoyed this. For me, I think Tom Holland uh, really knocks it out of the park playing Peter Parker uh, and Spider Man. And I think to that you have you know Michael Keaton here as Vulture. Um, I thought really good uh, how. That all came together around Liz and, and around the homecoming event. Uh, really cool. I love the kind of the the focus down on you know Spider Man's issue of being a high school student and also uh, then wanting to be part of the Avengers and just how that arc develops over the course of the movie so that he ends up really opting for uh, being the friendly neighborhood spider-man um rather than going to the avengers academy um loads of great supporting characters in here as well uh absolutely adored ned um great character loved him uh my my rating is homage to ned um and i think flash Donald Glover there as Aaron Davis as well. Absolutely loved it. Loved the 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 final battle. And there's so much I really loved. And I, I think this really shows, you know, um with many characters come many responsibilities. And I think this was knocked out of the park. You know, at the end of the day, there's a lot of villains there. Yes, they're supporting. A lot of villains. Shocker one, Shocker Two, Scorpion, Vulture, the Tinkerer. Plus all the students in high school, plus Tony Stark, plus Happy Hogan. All so like you can have a lot of characters in a movie, and if it's done well, it works as an ensemble cast without dimming the lights of Tom Holland uh, as Spider Man or uh, Michael Keaton as Vulture. And uh, I really, um, absolutely love this movie for for what it did. Not on the nose, loads of Easter eggs, uh, and a great storyline set uh, in a way that I think feels right for this sort of reboot of Spider-Man, really, which is in high school. Um, so I can't wait to see Jamie Bell come back um, as Spider-Man. Sorry, I mean Tom Holland as Spider-Man. I still think he looks like <laughs> Jamie Bell. Uh, I can't yes. wait for him um, to to come back, see what he does next, both in the Marvel Sony-verse and also in the MCU in terms of uh, the Infinity Wars. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I'm going to get a Doc Strange in here because I would love to see him team up with Doc Strange as well. 
I absolutely adore those cartoons of those two together because I, I do love the, you know, slightly older mannerisms of Strange with the youthful exuberance of, of Spider-Man. I think that's another great little mm-hmm. uh, pairing. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Uh, you reference Jamie Bell is be- obviously because Tom Holland started his career out absolutely. in Billy Elliot, right? And he yeah. did, he certainly did, yeah. on the on the boards, uh, dancing away as yeah. Billy Elliot. Yeah, very cool. In the West End. <laughs> so, on that note, Derek, do you defend Spider-Man Homecoming? How far have we come from Spider-Man 3? Uh, <laughs> I know. In, in, the way we're recording this, we're one night after the other here, and uh, we all roundly rounded on Spider-Man 3, pretty much the death knell in the coffin of the Spider-Man franchise. It was resurrected with a trailer for uh, Amazing Spider-Man and another trailer for Amazing Spider-Man 2 that got us really hyped for what those films could deliver. This film came along and has, we will talk about those films in the future, but this film came along, had a trailer that hyped us for it, a cameo appearance of the character in Civil War that hyped us for it. I was didn't want to be hyped for this movie. I didn't want to overhype myself. I didn't want to oversell myself, hoping that this would be the Spider-Man movie that finally got rid of those previous three that I didn't particularly like. Uh, it totally, totally did everything I wanted to, for this character. It was absolutely brilliant. Really, really enjoyed it. Highly defended. I'll be back watching this again very soon in the cinema. Uh, it's worthy of my time and worthy of my money to to spend it again and watch it watch it. A number of more times. It was really enjoyable. Loved what they did. Loved the nods. Loved how grounded it was within the MCU without being bashing you over the head with, don't worry, this is the MCU. This is the MCU. It was very much, he has his own cast of characters and it's also set in the universe. Very similar to what we cover on a week-to-week basis on our on our Defenders podcasts, um, where they feel like members of the MCU, but they are still telling their own story. So um, this felt like the right kind of impulse for the character. So highly defend this movie this is a this is one of the tops for me and so chris do you defend spider-man homecoming i don't what am i saying (laughs) okay guys um i said this we briefly before we started recording um this for me is the best rendition edition version uh film uh everything of Spider-Man. He is, they have hit the nail on the head in so much, uh, adding the John Hughes elements, adding the, the nods to kind of nods to other films, nods to the cinematic universe, adding the, so much of this. It just is perfect. Mm-hmm. Like I, mm-hmm. I would give yeah. this a perfect five out of five. If I could 4.9, if you will. Like there's so much I, I want to do with this, but I can't. I can't. I there are yes, there are niggly little things. Like I said, just potentially this Alan's performance for me, just I wasn't the target audience. Yeah. I was just I put maybe if she was uh Cass's MJ I or Cass's Gwen if it was Gwen Stacy, maybe it would have just because the Liz Allen character never really had an affinity to me for the uh, the animated show or anything like that. Like, yeah, I don't know. Just, but that's it. I, I tried to find elements I didn't like. There's nothing for me, and I know I'm hugely biased, but 
Derek, I'm in the boat, the same boat as you. The best nod of appreciation I can give to a writer, a director, a film is to go see it again in the cinema. Mm-hmm. Like to spend my money and go and see it to a second time, a third time. I will go see this a second time and a third time if I can. Yeah, I definitely absolutely. a second time. I will buy this on Blu-ray the day it comes out. I have stopped buying a lot of Blu-rays unless it's something I know that I want to rewatch once every year, two years. Mm-hmm. I want to see in 4K. I want to just sit there and feel this universe wrap around me. And this will be it. Like I, I go back to a lot of the MCU films once every couple of years, but this will be one I know that I will see before Infinity War. I'll help me watch this before right. Spider like Infinity Part Two. I'll watch this before Homecoming Two. I'll rewatch this. That's how I have to kind of be because this the delivery of Peter Parker by Tom Holland, like that scene from like Spider Man, the main Spider Man Thirty Three, like the Ditko one. That has always been one of my iconic memories of spider-man and reading spider-man and it was brought to life beautifully absolutely by tom holland and i can't he is this he is spider-man to me he is the perfect teenager that it was spider-man that got me interested in this character mm-hmm. yeah and he like he he's even as a the, the amount of training he this boy went through this man went through like there are videos online of him consistently learning to jump and spin and kick and everything and john uh john bernthal the punisher from netflix like him working with him on another film and then trying to get him in the spider-man vice versa for punisher and like two of them sparring with each other the the quips he makes in real life is just he is the embodiment of a nerdy peter parker Mm -hmm. we just don't know i don't know if he's a genius that's the only thing I could have against Tom Holland. He Are said you he's genius? not at all. He said well, he's not then, a smart man. <laughs> okay, well then he can play a smart man very well. Yes, yes. Um, the cast of characters, the villain, like again, this is one of my top villains in the MCU. This is actually my top villain in the MCU. And it is the best Spider-Man film to date, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I will go on record as saying I, I, I loved Iron Man 1. Mm-hmm. I've I've named my top three in previous podcasts as Iron Man one, um, Doc Strange not nudged in there, and then we had Civil War. One of them is going to have to drop out. I don't know which one, but Spider Man is in that top three, almost top spot for me right. because of my affinity to the character and my love, but also the delivery and the photography mm-hmm. and the, the character development and everything that we saw in this. They this is next year if if we can get this for every character solo character going forward i I, like if black panther is as good as this i I, i'm gonna be happy Mm -hmm. if captain mar if they do what they did to spider-man with captain marvel in 2020 2020 2019 i can't remember the release date for captain marvel that i i i'm i'm done this is perfect this is they figured out the formula It, it took a few films, but they figured out the formula. <laughs> um, it's perfect, and I I can't more. If you have not seen this film, well, why listen to this point of the podcast? But uh, if you have seen the film, obviously, look, go see it again. Try and watch it again. Like the only way we will get more of this, which obviously I know they've already announced Spider Man Two, but like the the way we can give and three, the way we can give this 
our kudos is to see it again and see it again and mm-hmm. buy the DVDs. Don't worry about the merch. The merch is just merch. But just definitely <laughs> buying the film itself. All the merch money goes to Sony. Uh, yeah, it's just it's just the uh, the the taking in the box office and the Blu-ray that's split between Marvel and Sony. Uh, uh, that's what I want. But yeah, I'm I'm delighted that we're going to have. Um, Two, at least two more appearances of uh, the character from here, Tom Holland's uh, Spider-Man in the MCU. That's in Infinity War and Infinity War 2, whatever Infinity War 2 is actually going to be called. And another two uh, Spider-Man uh, Homecoming sequels uh, as well coming out. So the total deal with Sony and Marvel was six movies and then to be renegotiated in 2022. Yeah. So, so we've got a lot of this character, Tom Holland, to come. And I'm delighted to know that this was exceptional in what they did what they achieved with a character that has pervaded society so much that they can still use a theme tune written in 1967 i think it was yeah spider-man spider-man uh theme tune yeah they can still use that at the opening of this movie that's <clears throat> aimed at people who are in their teens people who weren't around in the 90s um for and weren't around in the 2000s even uh some of the kids that this is aimed at they could still use that theme tune at the opening it's such an iconic character and they could do something brand new and fresh for his sixth fifth outing in the cinema is that right sixth outing in the cinema yeah mm, yeah very happy with well it. seventh if he counts civil war that, that's true that's true yes okay so on that note, gentlemen, I, I want to close out this podcast in the way that we always close out our podcast with your feedback. Um, we want to hear from you, be it on your docile tones, as John said at the beginning, by going over to DefendersTVPodcast.com and leaving us an audio voicemail so we can actually insert your voice directly into this podcast. <laughs> or, of course, you can email us at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com or as some of you have already done, is going to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast, joining the group and leaving your feedback there. We will always ask for it before or as recording so you can get your feedback in. David Wang, I'm going to kick in with the first part here, guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, David Wang, one of the guys, one of our fellow Defenders over at the Facebook group started going, I want to squeeze in a bit of listener feedback if you haven't started recording the whole coming episode yet. David, we hadn't. So he got it in time. He goes on to say, I know you folks have been mostly positive on all the MCU films, but you got to admit, most of the villains have been taking back seats in the plot and emotional weights of the film. Mm-hmm. They can range Absolutely. from thin to two dimensional. The vulture in Spider-Man Homecoming, however, is like a breath of fresh air to me. His character is very, very rounded and his plan down to earth and almost to showcase that in a very visible manner. Remember how in the past the actor's name of the villains from Tom Hiddleston to Maz Mikkelsen has been relegated to the back of the credits in the with and part, while big characters like the female love interests get pushed much closer to the front and the leading man. This time I was very happy to see Michael Keaton's name come right after Tom Holland's. Interesting. Very interesting. And completely agree with, with you, David. I think, um, as we discussed on the podcast, Michael Keaton here is great in, in this role. Um, a great counterpoint to, to Tom Holland's, uh, Spider-Man and, and Peter Parker. Absolutely. And I think you're right. Yeah. To see the villain coming in, uh, right after uh, the the hero, 
uh, in the credits it is really interesting and that's an interesting point that you make and i've observed like i it's not something i've spotted before so it's really cool it's it's really interesting i think the guys uh, who've had this happen to them before may need to talk to their um talk to their representation oh, their maybe. management about this because uh, the and and with the, those credits at the end are huge credits because it actually means the very special guest star if you have the and and with so that was actually reserved in this film for um robert downey jr so he got the and credit at the end i believe he's the last name that we see is and robert downey jr so it's this entire movie wasn't possible without robert downey jr is kind of what it's saying so um but it is you're absolutely right the, the it is usually the main character and the love interest are the first two people uh, and then uh, then you have your and is usually the villain at the end of the film. So uh, that's quite interesting. Uh, interesting point to see that uh, that uh, Michael Keaton's taken that position up at the start. It's quite cool, though. Yeah. Um, thank you very much, front. David. Definitely. Yeah. Thanks so much for that feedback, David. Really good to hear from you, uh, as always. Um, yeah, thank you, David, for for the feedback. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, gentlemen, we are at the full end Absolutely. of our podcast. The mammoth review of Spider-Man Homecoming. His homecoming to mcu if you will um of course listeners fellow defenders and fellow webheads please subscribe to us at defenders tv podcast.com forward slash itunes or on any good or evil or web swinging podcast catcher uh that you can please leave reviews rate us uh share if you know people who want to listen to this beautiful deep dive into the mc universe please tell your friends course join us on facebook and check us out on twitter etc we'll be back for amazing spider-man movies the 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 garfield the garfield era if we will this garfield verse um as we continue our uh summer spidey retrospective but of course that will all lead to the defenders on august 18th and of course we want you to be with us on the day and date it launches absolutely we will be releasing our views on that show because, mm-hmm. well, basically that's what we are here for because we are the Defenders TV podcast. <laughs> so I've been one of your hosts, Chris. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again next time. Absolutely. I'm off to lay some eggs whilst eating some lasagna. Thank you so much for joining us as always, and we'll speak with you next time. John, you forgot your army of spiders. My army of spiders, uh, they're in the taxi on the way. Good, good, good. Absolutely. Bye. All right. See Bye you now. now. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us as always, and we'll speak with you next time. John, you forgot your army of spiders. Oh, yes. That's all for now, gentlemen. Ta-ta They're coming now. out of my wound. What the <laughs> hell? They're like bursting out, you know, to lay yeah, eggs yeah. under the skin. Anyway, I won't say that. <laughs> no, they're in the taxi. Went... They're in the taxi on their way. Say that again. Oh, sorry. My spider, my spider of armies. Um... <laughs> oh, God.